0: Thank you, John. And hello again. (laughs) Um, This morning, uh, I'd like to take the opportunity to do something a little different uh, than what we typically do while we are still in the spirit of turning over the calendar to a uh, new year. Um, And the the reflective sort of attitude that comes along with that. I want us to spend some time asking some searching questions as a church family. Uh, questions like, uh, what kind of church are we? What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church does God want us to be? What are our goals and our objectives as, uh, as an institution? And what plans do we have in place in order to facilitate Uh, the meeting of those goals and objectives. Um, The age-old adage is true uh, that to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Um, And as many of you know, uh, one of my titles here uh, on staff at Grace Valley is uh, as director of discipleship ministries. Um, And one of the tasks that uh, belongs to that role uh, is to constantly assess how we as an institution are doing in facilitating and encouraging the ongoing growth and faithfulness in the daily lives of our members, and to think of ways to improve the discipleship infrastructure that we, as an institution, uh, invest our resources in here. Um, I then have the opportunity to, to make proposals to our leadership in our, in our session then diligently discusses these things at length and makes decisions about what would be best for our congregation. Um, and so, back in September, uh, the leadership agreed to roll out a new discipleship model here in Grace Valley Church. And the most notable first steps that we took um, were to not launch. Uh, a staff-run, church-led, small group ministry this year, but instead to have the staff offer uh, regular teaching and training modules to those who are uh, interested and available, and um, and to push to encourage and facilitate meaningful fellowship opportunities uh, for us as a church family as well. Um, and now I've been given the opportunity this morning basically to take some time to show you uh, where our thinking on all of this has come from. Um, And so this won't be a typical expository sermon, but I do hope that it will still be um, illuminating and inspiring um, and encourage you to to lean into and to take advantage of uh, some of the unique discipleship opportunities that are being offered here. Um, and so to do this, uh, as, as you may have gathered, we are diving back into the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, here in the early chapters of Acts, we have Luke's account of Jesus' ascension and his commission of his apostles and the subsequent Pentecost event, um, which effectively gave birth to the Christian church as we know it now. Um, And in our text today, Luke gives us a brief glimpse into what kind of community naturally formed in response to these events. Uh, This is a picture of an ideal church, of a a spirit-empowered church. Um, And so it can be, I think, a little intimidating (laughs) uh, to us, and that's not a bad thing, Um, and I think we should sort of sit with that and and, and consider as we look, take a close look at this community, uh, what we can learn from it. All right, so let's let's dive into the text, Uh, as John has just read it. Um, We start at verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So first we start with, who are they? Uh, the they in this passage, of course, refers to the whole church in Jerusalem at this time. Um, which, uh, according to Luke's count, uh, depending on how he counted it, somewhere between 3,000 and, and 3,400 people or so. Um, but imagine, put yourself in the shoes of someone in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, imagine the mixture of emotions. Uh, between excitement and conviction but also fear and uncertainty right Uh, this was a radical shift everything has changed right i think if you were a young convert uh, you couldn't just go home to your orthodox jewish parents and tell them that you now believe that the man from galilee named jesus is the covenant god of israel and that you now worship him uh, this would have caused immense conflict for them so everything has changed right? they're asking questions like what, what will my life look like tomorrow and as the, the end of the day here on Pentecost uh, rolls around and the apostles begin to wrap up their preaching in all their different languages to all the different ethnic groups and the crowd begins to break up uh, you know perhaps you've been alone uh, but a group maybe who's been there who was present when you were baptized and notice that you're alone they invite you to come into one of their homes for dinner and they learn your story learn a little bit about you and they take you in and they give you everything you need to get you on your feet in your new life right this was a radical new thing happening that demanded a radical response um, for many of us I think if we think back to our own experience of coming to faith in Jesus um, I don't know how often we do that but when you do you ask these things like how did coming to faith in Jesus change your life right how did it alter your priorities how did it affect your family life and your friend group what did it really cost you certainly for some of us the cost has been a lot higher um, and way more real than for others among us because I think most of us if we're honest um, our lives didn't have to change that much when we came to know Jesus but the picture that we have here of the early Christian church is that all of the believers lives were radically changed by their new faith it was highly disruptive Um, but they were happy to pay the cost of following Jesus in whatever form it took so again, what does our text say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So they devoted, themselves, uh, they devoted themselves to a few things which we're going to unpack. But first, what does it mean to devote oneself to something? You know, the Greek phrase here carries the weight of clinging to or holding fast to or grasping onto something as though your life depended on it. Okay, so this wasn't for them a take it or leave it proposition. They weren't simply committed to this until something better came along. Um, It took absolute priority over everything else in their lives. So, what did they devote themselves to? First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does this mean? Well, the apostles had been taught by Jesus for three years during his earthly ministry. Uh, he had spent those three years teaching them how to live, how to interpret, and to apply the Hebrew Scriptures in light of his fulfillment of them. And the content of his teaching to his disciples then became the content of their teaching to all of the new disciples. And in time, over time, this became the content of the New Testament, which is the Apostles' teaching for us today. Today. Um, in his commentary on Acts, John Stott said that the, the Spirit-filled church is a learning church. He went on. He said, "One might perhaps say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day." So, why this emphasis on, on teaching and learning? Um, if we look at the Great Commission, um, which is summarized sort of most succinctly in Matthew 28. Uh, There Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus commissions his apostles to go and make disciples, right? Well, how do they go and make disciples? He goes on by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So first by converting them, which is what this represents in this scenario. These are adults coming, repenting, and putting their faith in Jesus. Um, So first converting them, making new disciples, but then What? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So what is discipleship? The word literally means student or an adherence to a certain teacher. So Christian discipleship is a lifelong apprenticeship with Jesus. It is a commitment to a life of learning. And it requires submitting oneself to his teaching in order to obey everything that he commanded. So by its very definition, discipleship with Jesus is a lifelong commitment to keep learning from him, to being changed and transformed by him. And the church in the West has suffered from a bad case of amnesia on this second part of the Great Commission, especially in recent years. Um, And a great many books have been written on this topic uh, especially in the last decade. But generally speaking, the evangelical churches in the West have become much more interested in putting people in pews, much more interested in statistical growth rather than spiritual growth. And so we have to be on guard for this kind of mentality. Right In general, the churches of the West have put all their eggs in that first basket and then left people to figure out the second part of their own. But the truth is that most people will not figure it out. Their own because the sad reality is that most of us are content to do the barest minimum that is required of us by the communities that we find ourselves in. Um, Bill Hall, in his book uh, Conversion and Discipleship, he wrote this He said, For many who call themselves Christians today, being saved or being a Christian has no serious connection with an ongoing commitment to being formed into the image of Christ. Uh, Dallas Willard, commenting on this, he called this a heresy. He said, this heresy has created the impression, rather, that it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. A phrase he coined here. and He goes on to say, one who in effect says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I go get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven. Unfortunately, That is the attitude of many Christians today. And so we have to consider, um, has this attitude crept in? Is it affecting the way we think? Do we feel this way? Whether we dare to admit it or not. We like this idea of being saved by Jesus. And we'll even pay homage to him in small ways. As long as they don't cost us too much. As long as they don't cost us too much money or even worse in the Western world, too much of our time. Um, and so I mentioned earlier the the rollout of the new discipleship plan and and sort of the notable absence of a church-wide uh, small group ministry from it. And many of you at the time wondered why we why we had not uh, formally launched a small group ministry um, this year. Um, and I'm I, and when I say this, I want to make sure that like I'm going to come back to this. Again, but I want to make sure that people know going into it that uh, I'm not saying that small groups of Christians meeting together, studying or praying for accountability are a bad thing. I'm talking about the idea of church-led, programmatic, top down organized, and arranged small group ministries that serve as a proxy for any other serious discipleship plan. Okay? Those tend to not have produced the fruit that everyone had been hoping they would. And we've been trying this for quite some time. Um, So what would be wrong with us to continue to rely on a model uh, that has not been effective as a primary discipleship plan? Um, And uh, this is something I've been thinking about for quite some time. And um, I came across an article, this is an older article, uh, by a pastor named Brian Jones, um, provocatively titled, why churches should euthanize small groups um now i don't follow him all the way in his argument but he does make some good points and that's how i came across his article because i was asking the same questions that he was asking um and he talks about how his church had uh sort of reached a point where they had kind of stagnated in their growth and he felt like there was a lack of vitality and he wasn't sure how to get it unstuck Um, and so he brought in a mentor and a friend who was a ministry consultant, and they chatted about it, and um, at one point in his conversation, he said, you know, one of the areas where I feel um, most clueless, I just don't know how to make things work, is in the small group ministry. And his mentor said this, and this is a quote from the article, he said, well, Brian, that's because they don't work. Small groups are things that trick us into believing we're serious about making disciples. The problem is 90% of small groups don't produce real disciples. They help Christians make shallow friendships, for sure. They're great at helping Christians feel a tenuous connection to their local church. And they do a bang-up job of teaching Christians how to act like other Christians in evangelical Christian subculture. But when it comes to creating the kind of holistic disciples Jesus envisioned, the jury came back a long time ago and said that small groups aren't working. Okay, so again, I want to emphasize that what he's talking about here are the These programmatic, church-led, top-down, organized, small group ministries. Where we put all our eggs in that basket and we say, this is how our people are going to be discipled. He himself was quick to qualify that he had experienced the most spiritually transformative season of his life in the context of a small group with a a number of men uh, through study and accountability. And I know that many of you have had that experience yourself, where um, your small group experience has really served to deepen your faith and your bonds with uh, the other members of your group. But know that uh, that's not something the church arranged, that's something the Holy Spirit arranged. It was just a happy accident. Um, I myself have experienced it. Um, My wife and I were members of a small group that was powerfully formative. Uh, many years ago and we grew more spiritually in that one season than, than at any other time in our lives and we've been chasing that dynamic ever since hoping to replicate it but you cannot force the hand of the Holy Spirit and so when paired against expectations uh, most small groups don't seem to stack up um, some groups connect socially socially but fail to accomplish any sort of spiritual growth or accountability. Other groups dutifully stick to their study material and awkwardly slog through together, but never manage to connect in a meaningful way. Um, and I think that most of this can be chalked up to us asking too much of a novel discipleship model. Um, Brian goes on later in the article saying that, and meanwhile, while our people are constrained by their obligation to the church and their sense of loyalty to us as leaders, their hearts search for real community and an opportunity to grow as disciples. He then asks, what would happen if we euthanized our small group ministry, taught the value of discipleship and community, and then let the Holy Spirit do its work? That's the question he asks, and that's the experiment that we are in the middle of as a church. Um, If Jesus has given us an approved model for discipleship in his word, then why would we keep trying to improve on it and capture lightning in a bottle? Um, It's futile. And so we've decided as a church staff and leadership to provide a full stable of teaching and learning opportunities almost year-round so that everyone in our congregation has Robust opportunities to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, And we're no longer going to outsource this responsibility to volunteer small group leaders. However, this does not mean that we don't want to see small groups of you organizing to spend time in prayer and study or fellowship or all of the above. On the contrary, we are hoping that this new direction will lead to more of that kind of thing happening organically, as we grow together corporately and by the way just so you know we're not this is not revolutionary thinking we're not blazing some trail all by ourselves out in the middle of nowhere um, I lo- owe a lot of my own thinking on this to, to writers like JT English in his book uh, Deep Discipleship where he outlines uh, the approach that he implemented at the village churches in Texas this very similar program and how it turned out for their community um all right, so that is how we plan to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching here. But that's not the only thing the early church devoted themselves to, was it? If we turn back to our text, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. These early Christians were utterly committed to one another. They found unity in Christ their newfound unity in Christ, rather, now transcended all other relationship categories in their lives. Verse 44 says that all the believers were together. They wanted to be together. They shared the most meaningful and impactful experience of their lives, an experience that could not be appreciated by anyone who had not experienced it for themselves, right? Christians are bonded together with other Christians in a way that Non-Christians and Christians simply cannot be. We share union with Christ. And as we are one with him, so we are one with each other through him. We share the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The very power of the resurrection of Jesus has taken up residence in us. Animating and empowering us for a life of shared obedience, arm in arm. This is why we've been putting so much emphasis on meaningful fellowship opportunities this year. This is why we're going to meet in the gym for potluck again next week. Um, And we hope that you will be there and we hope that you will grab a seat beside someone new and get to know them a little bit. Because you have the most significant thing about you in common. You are bonded together in Christ. If there were ever a social situation um, in which you shouldn't be forced to talk about the weather, it's with your fellow Christians. Right, if you are a fellow professing believer, then I know for a fact that the most important thing about you is that you have been loved, you have been chosen, and you have been adopted into the same family that I have. What greater common ground could we ask for? And as evidence of the closeness of these bonds, Luke goes on, the second half of verse 44 and 45, where he says that they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, these are scary verses. And I don't want to necessarily belabor this point. So let me just say this. No, this does not mean that the gospel is opposed to personal wealth or land ownership. Uh, The text does not say that they sold all their property and possessions. They sold to give to those who had need. Right? As they had need. After all, they're still meeting in each other's homes, so presumably, they still own homes to meet in. Um, But rather, what Luke is depicting here is a radical new relationship to the material world brought about by a radical new spiritual reality. He's depicting a community where the desire to store up heavenly treasures has come to override the desire for material comfort and security. So if there were a need, those who were able to meet it met it in full trust that God would provide for them if they ever found themselves similarly in a position of need. But again, the point is not that the church was a socialist institution. They were not under any compulsion to do this. They freely chose to do this as a response to their understanding of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts is evidence of this. Um, But rather, the point that Luke is making here is that these Christians, this church, they loved one another like family. This is the sort of thing you you see parents do, right? Where you might sell off an asset to help your child purchase their first car or pay for their college tuition or buy their first home. Um, Here, they were doing it for people who may well have been strangers days or weeks before. These people were radically dedicated to one another's well-being. And a community like this, a community this close, they don't plan on seeing each other only once a week for a couple hours on a Sunday morning service. They were far closer than that. So what does our text say? Our text says in verse 46 that every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day. Every day they met together. Um, You may be asking, didn't these people work? (laughs) Uh, Didn't they have jobs? How on earth did they manage this? Um, And the truth is, yeah, of course they did. Um, they likely worked very hard, probably more so than we do today. They were living in the Roman Empire, and they not only had to support themselves, but they also had regular tributes to pay to Rome. So they had to produce, at times, up to 30% more goods than they actually needed for their own survival. Um, So they were busy people. It's not that they had all this extra time on their hands. Um, But rather it's obvious that worship and fellowship together became the highest priority in their lives. They found a way to make it work. Um, Likely the way it happened was they would go to temple together early in the morning before work for prayer and worship, and then they would meet in each other's homes after work for dinner and study together. Um, Now again, (laughs) remember that this isn't the ideal church being pictured here. Um, and I'm every bit as, uh, convicted and daunted by this as you are. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that this week as I've been studying this passage and reading up on this topic, I, I'm afraid of what the Holy Spirit might be asking of us through this text. Um, and so maybe, maybe we commit to just beginning here. Um. This season, um, the leadership of this church uh, would like to encourage you to take a look at the calendar of opportunities for both fellowship and learning that are being made available to you and to stretch yourself a little. We believe that the Holy Spirit can take a little bit of obedience and do something massive with it. Just look at what he did here in this church in Jerusalem. It's the Spirit's power. It's not the it's not the dedication of these individuals. Surely he's capable of doing something awesome here too. All right. Um, at this point, I want to take a few minutes just to clearly outline our, what our current discipleship plan is, in case it has not been clear to you. These things are difficult to communicate uh, over the course of just emails or brief announcements. Um, and Unfortunately, uh, I didn't get this information to Kate early enough to get a slide made, so that's my bad. But if I had, I would have it laid out on a slide for you. But basically, there's three categories of um, objective, coupled with basically three categories of um, plan to meet that objective. And so one of GDC's long-skated goals Um, mission goals from the very beginning has been to help cultivate disciples of Jesus who are clear thinking right deep feeling and humbly serving that's the way that we've sort of formulated it Um, and so our discipleship um, structure our plan our pathway uh, for the time being um, through which we hope to accomplish this is broken up as teaching fellowship and service okay And they correlate. So teaching. You cannot love that which you do not know. Uh, So rather than being conformed to the patterns of this world. As Paul says in Romans 12. We aim to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. As we encounter God in his word. And through the study of both proper and practical theology. So this isn't knowledge acquisition for the sake of it. Right? Rather, the spirit of God leads the people of God to submit themselves to the word of God. And it's through this that we come to know him. So that's the teaching element. The second is the fellowship. Um, we serve and were created to image a triune God. One who, by his very nature, exists in a perfect fellowship. How, then, could we expect to grow and be conformed more into his image apart from the communion and the saints? Um, and so we aim to dedicate ourselves to knowing and loving one another as a vital part of our discipleship and spiritual formation alright so clear thinking, the renewal of our minds this moves down so it starts in the head, moves down to the heart the stirring of our affections as we come to know God we come to love God more, we come to love our neighbor more, Deep feeling And this, of course, leads to the last category, service. This growing love of God and neighbor that we are hoping to cultivate with the Holy Spirit empowering us all the way um, spills over in service, in the desire to meet the needs of another, um, to love, to forgive, to protect, to comfort in the ways that we have been loved, forgiven, protected, and comforted um, and so a humble awareness of just how good God has been to us will result in the deep desire for others to taste and to see that same goodness for themselves. Humbly serving, this is spill right? So it's God's love flowing through holistic disciples, head, heart, hands. Um, and we believe that the one who devotes themselves to this process is the true disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, all right, so that's the framework okay teaching fellowship service that's our objectives um okay let's finish with some more bible um luke tells us what the net result of this is when it's actually lived out in the church we look at verse 47 uh, well i just back up a little bit so they're breaking bread in their homes they're eating together with glad and sincere hearts. They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You see, the broader community couldn't argue that what was going on in that church community, however radical and however countercultural it may have been, was of benefit for all. Right? They were the aroma of Christ in the world and the people could smell it and they came asking questions. What's going on here? What is empowering you people to live this way? Um, and the Lord, it says, this is the last part of 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So by focusing rather on first things first, by, by, by going back to basics, right? By, by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, what happened? The church grew, both spiritually um, and in size. And they became effective in evangelism by putting first things first. They focused on their calling to be faithful disciples of Jesus, and the Lord added to their number. Now, of course, the Lord used their radical devotion, their love, their generosity, and their favor to accomplish this. But this is his basic design. And I think even more so in a culture that's becoming increasingly unfamiliar with the church and its message. Right? Our current culture is in many ways very similar to uh, the culture that the Christian church was born into. Right? Their message was countercultural. It was unpopular, but the results were undeniable. And they created a positive feedback that ultimately accomplished in the Great Commission. Um, all right. Let me leave you with a quotes from john stott that i hope will encourage you as you consider this um john stott wrote this he said the holy spirit came on the day of pentecost and has never left his church our responsibility is to humble ourselves before his sovereign authority to determine not to quench him but to allow him his freedom for then our churches will again manifest those marks of the spirit's presence So John Stott believes that this ideal church is not just a fairy tale. It's not just something that will happen again in heaven, but the very real expressions of this can happen in the church today, can happen here. Um, So let's dedicate ourselves to that this season and see what the Holy Spirit would do. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom and for the fact that you reveal your will to us in your word. Lord, humble us to submit ourselves to your will in simple obedience and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in whatever way he will. Lord, ultimately, our plans mean nothing without your blessing, and so we ask that you would work powerfully among us. Transform us into vibrant disciples who are devoted to life in Christ together, Lord. And let that be a light shining in the world, pointing to you, Lord, that your goodness, your greatness, your love, and your mercy would be known through us far and wide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we're not doing community today, so there's no excuse for not doing a Q&A. Um, so if any of you have questions, you're free to ask them now. You can raise your hand. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sermon Breakout. Thank you, Lori. The grade five and sixes. Uh, if you could follow Lori to Sermon Breakout. Have fun. Um, but yeah, if any of you have questions, you're free to ask them now. You can just raise your hand if you're brave. Uh, you can text me if you'd rather not be identified. Um, I think it's just my phone number. Yeah, you can, you can text me there. You can email me. Um, and again, it's not limited to this morning. Uh, you can text or email me throughout the week, and I'll hopefully be able to get back to you. Um, yeah, it's as I mentioned a few times, this picture of an ideal church is a little intimidating, isn't it? Um, I think a lot of us I know certainly it's been my experience that um, you know, I've read that passage many times and I've thought, well, that was the Pentecost right, that was kind of special um, surely that kind of thing is not um, you know, what's expected <laughs> um, And yet, I think the more that I've read and studied in this passage, the more I realize it's a story about what the Holy Spirit can do when a church opens itself up to allowing him to do his work. Um, I do fear that a lot of um, Western church has become very programmatic, very... um, I think we've borrowed a lot of the way we do things from the business world and, you know, we like to have our, our structures and our programs and things like that. And I think sometimes we maybe don't leave room just for the spirit to work in the ordinary things. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I'm not going to preach at you again. All right. I got one question here. The question is, how can we better examine what holds us from learning classes here in uh, in this preparing for the time to let the Holy Spirit move us? Um, and I'm assuming the question is asking, is like, how do we better examine what our hesitation is um, to participating in these kinds of things? I mean, that's the Spirit's work. We have to pray. Um. I know for myself um, when new things come up and and people want to put more demands on my time uh, my first human reaction is of course well you know I don't have time for that or um, I have other things to do or and I think you know that's we're all inclined to that Um, but I think we have to to prayerfully consider um, you know what it is that God's calling us to. I think um, for for many of us, our idea of church is is of sort of a westernized version of it that's developed over the last I don't, I don't know how long, but where you know ch- the idea of church membership is that we show up on Sunday and we worship and we contribute and, and then we go about our lives for six days and then we come back here the next Sunday. But clearly, being the church goes far beyond that. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, I think prayerfully, what what does it mean to be a member of, of the church and actively participate in the life of the church and to to live in obedience to Christ? Right. That's the, that is the second part of the of the um, Great Commission is to teach people to live in obedience to all that Christ has commanded. Um, But yeah, we have to prayerfully submit ourselves, I think, to the Spirit's examination um, to break through that. Sorry, there's some other things coming through here. Sure, absolutely. And here there's a, a, a suggestion that everyone... Um, to try to bring someone new to our church uh, to help it grow and to help save more people, help more people to come to know Jesus. Certainly, that is the uh, one, of, one of the outcomes that we hope for in this, right? This idea that as we commit more to learning, being confronted with who God is, that as that changes us, that as that le- brings us to a place where we love God and we love our neighbor more. That that will spill over in obviously wanting to see other people saved. Um, So it will result in an evangelistic zeal for sure.